0: 14, maybe we'll read just a few verses starting down about verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, setteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish." Or what king, going to make war against another king, setteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's all we'll read. So, the Lord here, great multitudes following Him. And you see that, you see that in several places through the Word of God. And you know, the, the thinking of man would be well we've got this great multitude and let's let's do our best to pacify everybody that this great number might continue with us but that's never ever the case with jesus and these in, in the word of god you see here he's going to turn and he's going to this is a hard saying in john there was a multitude following him and john says jesus says you're following me for the fishes and the loaves And because I've put food in your belly, that's why you're following me. It's not because you want to be my disciple or you want to learn about me or the grace of God or or that you even need to be saved. You're just here because of what I've done for you in the flesh. And there he said, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't be my disciple. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Well, here, here's a multitude and... Jesus is going to take this opportunity to give the Word of God. And you know what this is? This is for me to to look and see whether I'm really a disciple of Jesus or not. Jesus is not interested in in a number of people or an impressive multitude, but he's, He's looking down in the heart of the individual. Where are we at? Are we truly His disciple? So He says, if any man come to me, And hate not. So that word hate, we recognize this that God in the law and even the Lord Jesus teaches. That we ought to love and honor our father and mother, that we ought to love our family, that we ought to love the life that that He's provided us as well. But here now we're we're looking in comparison to our love for the Savior. And that word hate there it means to detest or to love less. So in comparison with my love and affection for the Lord, everything else ought to take a back seat to my love for Him. That in my service to Him, that that even mother and father, sister and brother, wife and children, and my own self and my own desires, that none of those relationships would take precedence over my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that as these things would begin to come in the way, I would be to love the Lord more than I even love those. That I would have my devotion and my service to the Lord before it would be under all of these things. And and man looks at that and says, wait a minute, what about mother and father? What about wife and children? What, What about all of these things? This... This is a hard saying. Is this not a hard saying? Even for, even for regenerate people, people that God is, has saved, to look at that and, and to think of these things is a hard thing. But this thought, Jesus didn't just come up with this. It's in the Old Testament as well in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, Moses, God tells the people through Moses that if your son or your daughter if your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, if your spouse raises up and would have you to serve or follow after other gods, then you ought not to pity them nor to spare them, but you bring them before the people and they're to be stoned. Now that's that's a hard saying. But you know what that was for? That God would always have His rightful place in our hearts, and in our minds. That our lives would not be drawn away from Him, and unto that which is vanity, and that would bring us under the judgment of God. And so here, He says, If any man, and that word man, if you notice, it's in italics. That was added by the translators. But really what He says, If any come to me. That's all-inclusive. It's of mankind as a whole. And if, if we're going to come to Him and we intend on being His disciple, His pupil, one that's going to be a follower of Him, then this is a requirement that we must meet. And if we're not willing to lay everything else aside to be His follower, then He says He cannot. That word, it means to be able or Impossible. So it's impossible that somebody that's unwilling to put the Lord Jesus first in comparison, not just you know we say, well what we ought to do that for our bank account, we ought to do that for our job, but the Lord's saying that he's going to have to come before everything else in the kingdom, and that that wh- whatever relationship and whatever love, whatever affection that a man would have that if I'm going to be a follower of the Lord, he's going to have to take precedence over everything else. you know, I've got a job, it's important to the welfare of my family that I work that job. But if I've got a sick youngin and nobody's able to take care of them, you know, I'll take a day off. Their welfare takes precedence even over that. So we've got that hierarchy in our lives. We've got what's most important. We've got what's next. And, you know, maybe we don't ever think about it like that, but it's there. We've got what's important to us, what we spend our time and our effort and our our love, our affection. All of those things are in our lives. And Jesus is saying, now think about it. If you're going to be my follower, then I'm going to be in first place. That your effort and your strength and your service, your affection and your love, for me, I'm in first place. God's always commanded first place. God even in the giving of the commandments He says I am the Lord and you'll have nothing else beside me. Nothing else is in comparison to me. There's to be no idols. There's to be no false gods. When you think about me being God I am to be the only thing that comes to your mind. There is nothing near the level of Almighty God. Now that's true in the, the living sense, God is God and there is no other. But boy, in my mind, there's things that we put above, in front of, before God, and it's that way often, isn't it? And so Jesus says, if you don't put me first, and, and He says at the end, yea, and His own life also. That word yea, it means yet or still. Even further. You know, I I love my family. I love uh, my extended family. But boy, you want to get right down to where men and women live day by day. You're going to have to deny your own self as well. This is a way of denying what the flesh desires. David talked about it very well in the Scripture in Romans this morning. That we are to deny the flesh. We are to crucify the flesh and Jesus says if you're going to be my disciple your own self is going to have to be crucified you're going to have to lay down what you love and what you desire and I'm going to have to be transported into first place because you see the love of the world and the love that the world has in the mind is so twisted by sin and by deception that people think that they can love their children By giving them everything but the Word of God. By teaching them everything but how to pray and seek God. By giving them every example except that the Lord ought to be first. And what that love of the world is doing is taking them away from salvation and leading them into destruction. Now is that real love? So see, the devil has things... All twisted in the mind and in the heart of man. And God's been moved off of His place. And the God's truth is, absolutely everything comes before God. If anything comes up, we'll put God off because He's less important. Do you see that? Do you see that the service to God over and over again is always the back burner? That God's always the one that we put off. Well, I can't put off mom and daddy. We'll put off God's service. We'll put off uh, worshiping and honoring God. I can't put off my husband or my wife. So we'll just put God off. And you know, God's going to be all right with that. Boy, is that true. He cannot. It's not possible for that man to be my disciple if God is not first in his life. And whosoever doth not bear his cross. So even more than just denial of myself and denying my desires and resisting my desires, there's a taking up of the cross as well. You know, a a multitude here, and you can look in the next chapter or two and see it. They're following Jesus, and what they're thinking is going to happen is they're going to get close to Jerusalem And the kingdom of God's going to fall out of heaven. And Jesus is going to be the authority. And they think they're going to be rich. And they're going to be rulers over the world. Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. You see, you're not following me to be a king. But I'm going to pick up a cross in a day or two. And I'm going there to die. So if you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to have to take up a cross as well bear His cross, and come after me. He cannot be my disciple. So to be a follower of Jesus, there has to be a denying of the man. There has to be a bearing the cross of a man. This man has to be put to death that the work of God might be brought to pass. This man has... I mean, you think about what I like and what I I want in the flesh. Even that has to be destroyed if I'm going to serve God. That the desire and the, the want for sin and for rebellion, that you know, that's natural in the flesh. And you mean I'm going to have to lay aside all of the, the sin that I enjoy in order to be a follower of God? You know, as you begin to talk this, man says, that is a hard saying, and I'm not going to come that way. We all said that at one time in our life. That thought ran through every one of our minds. Well, I thought following Jesus was easy. The gospel you hear preached over and over today is an easy gospel. It's a cheap gospel. And it produces cheap converts. And everything else is before God. Well, I, I'm, I want you to know that, that that kind of convert is not a real follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not. Because this is not... He's not saying to me, and I, I recognize you can misinterpret easy if you're not very careful, and say, well, he's saying if you don't do it, then you don't have it. I think you're, you're getting it backwards there. As we look at this and what he sees, I think the right answer is, you know what? I, I can't do that. That would be the right answer. We're unable to come to God like this, of our own strength and of our own ability. Listen, let's look in a place or two in Luke chapter number 18. Just a couple pages over in your Bible. Here's the rich young ruler. A story we all know very, very well. And so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. They have their little discourse and he goes away sorrowful (coughs) because he's got too much. So this is what the Lord says in verse 24. Luke 18 verse 24. And Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful. He said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let, let's, just, let's read the next couple verses. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So now you think about this salvation now, and I've I've heard it, and I agree it sounds good, that at night the walls had a little door and you had to lay everything off a camel and it had to lay down and waller through on its belly, that sounds good but that's not literally what he's saying here. He's talking about a literal living, breathing camel going through the literal eye of a people. He says that's impossible with men. That's how hard it is for people to be saved. And, you know, we look at that and we say, well, that's rich men. <clears throat> what about us poor men? It's got to be easier for us as well. Well, see, the rich man here, he was sorrowful because he couldn't get rid of his great possessions. And you know, there's there's poor people in bank account status that's rich in their own righteousness. They're rich in their own goodness. And while we've been baptized and we've done all these mighty works, you... You taught in our streets and and you ate bread with us and and we knew you and we listened to your word, Jesus. Why why won't you let us in? See, when the gospel comes to them, well, we don't need to be saved. We've, We've got all these riches that we're trusting in and that we're hoping in. But how hard is it? The disciples said, who then can be saved? So in this day, Those that were rich, they were looked at as those that God had blessed the most. You know, you can follow that thought all the way back to Job. And it's not dead today. That thought's still there. Man still thinks he looks at his family, he looks at his job and his bank account, and he says, boy, look how God has blessed me. And he's lost and on the road to hell. And at any moment, God could cut him off. So they thought that these rich men were the most favored of God. And when Jesus says, How hardly shall a rich man enter in? Those disciples say, Well, if the rich men and those that are blessed with the things of this world, if they're not getting in, then who's going to? Who then can be saved? With men, it's impossible. It's in, Think about that now. Think about how different that that is from what you hear so often today. It's impossible among men for somebody to be brought in to the kingdom of God. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So in order for the camel to get through the eye of a needle there's going to have to be some miraculous power above what you and what I is, is able to do. Wouldn't you say that's true? There's going to have to be a, a miracle there, a wondrous miracle for that to happen. And if there's not some wondrous miracle, it's absolutely impossible that that animal is going through the eye of a an needle. And so that is the picture that Jesus gives us of man coming into the kingdom of God. Why, I thought all you had to do was go down to the altar and and say the right words and repeat after me. I thought it was just signing a piece of paper and being baptized and joining the church. And, you know, I I wanted to be saved and i had done all of those things. Well, Jesus says that it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for you to come into the kingdom of God of your own strength and of your own ability. Now, if we can't get that camel through the eye of a needle, and we can't, you've already admitted that, then know this, there's there's no amount of work that I can do that's going to get me into the kingdom of God. And there's no amount of work that I've done, credited to my name, that is able to get me into the kingdom of God. It is an impossibility with man. It's impossible. What the Lord said, it's impossible with man. So there's going to have to be then a working beyond man in order for somebody to come into the kingdom. Would you say that's true? The Lord Jesus says there in Luke that a man's going to have to forsake father and mother wife and children, sister, brother and his own self also I'm going to tell you that a man of his own will and of his own accord is not going to forsake himself he's going to do what he pleases justify himself in it and profess to be a disciple for a man to be brought down to this place, that God, I'll leave everything beside. I'll leave everything to the side. I'll be your follower. I'll put you in first place. There's going to have to be a power working beyond man's power. Another place in Philippians. You know where Paul got to? This, this is one of my favorite little portions of Scripture in the book. Because Paul Paul's being honest about himself right here in Philippians chapter 3. And he lists everything that he was, that he had done, all of the good works that was credited to his name. And in verse 7, but what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. So these things, by the testimony of, if you believe that the Scriptures are inspired by God, then the testimony of the Holy Ghost says that this lifestyle was profitable. It was gain to Paul. That as Paul lived, he he profited from this religion and from his good works. He received honor and esteem and glory from the hands of man. But you know, for him to come into the kingdom, what had to happen... Everything had to be counted as loss. That word loss there means a detriment. I had to recognize that everything I had done and the good record I had compiled in truth was a detriment to me because if I died and went out to meet God with the record that I had, I was going to stand guilty and in danger of the judgment. Paul said that was gain to me. In the flesh. But boy, when it come to the kingdom of God, what a detriment that these works were. You know why? Because he trusted and loved them and did not come for salvation to the Lord Jesus. So what had to happen? What happened to Paul that got him from the place that he was trusting in these good works and was profiting from them to this place where he says, I counted everything lost. Well, he sat down with a preacher and he talked it over with mom and daddy and with a preacher and they reasoned it out with him. No, it was the Spirit and power of God that met with Paul there on the Damascus Road. There There was a power beyond the ability and power of man that met with Paul and convinced them that this was the truth. Now there was nothing that Peter, there was nothing that Stephen, there was nothing that any of these men could say or do that would convince Paul of this. It was an impossibility exactly as the camel going through the eye of a needle. But you know, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and God convinced him of what no man could ever convince him of. If man's going to be saved, God will have to do that same work in their heart and in their lives or they'll never be convinced that they have a need of redemption. What I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So now that Paul's saved, and as Paul's, Paul's been birthed into the family here, he spent some time in this way, and you know what's happened over time? and through experience, and the working of the Word of God and the Spirit in his life, Paul's grown a little from the time he was saved. You don't hear a lot about growing anymore either. That while people can be saved, and and nothing ever changes, and they're always the same, and they, they don't grow any. Well, Paul's grew here, and he's grew to the place that he says, you know, as I look at my life, and I compare it to the work that Jesus has done in me, I count everything as dung, as manure. Look at how worthless that Paul looks at the vanity of this life compared to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith, of Jesus Christ. So, one more place. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So that, that word mind, it means to exercise the mind, to be mentally disposed, or to be inclined to. So how is man... In his natural state. Well, he's after the flesh and he minds the things of the flesh. You know what he's drawn to? The things that pertain to this world and the reputation among men. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So do you see the difference in natures and in mindsets? and in what they're inclined or disposed to follow and seek after? Look at what an opposite there is here. Here's one that's never been saved, and their mindset's always on the world. You know where their love's at? On their self, and on their family, and on their money, and on their goods, and on what pleases me, and the kingdom of God is secondary to every bit of it. But on the other side, There's one that's been saved. You know what they're minding, what they're inclined to? Spiritual things. They are like the Apostle Paul in Philippians. They recognize the vanity of this world and their desire is to glorify the one that saved them. For to be carnally minded, inclined, is death. But to be spiritually minded or inclined is life. And peace because the carnal mind is enmity hostility the word there it's the same word as Satan the carnal mind is Satan there's where the devil's at in the mind and in the heart of the unregenerate sinner the carnal mind, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh boy, we can please God. We've we've pleased God this week with our works. We've served God this week with our hands. And we're acceptable to Him because of that. Well, the Word of God says that in the flesh, no man can please God. It's like, maybe this is silly, but you come to my house to eat and I'm cooking a burger on the grill and I've got a spatula that is absolutely filthy. You see that thing and it about turns your stomach. And I grab that good steak off the grill and flip it over with that spatula, and I plop it on your plate with it. Now, even though the steak's good, nice cut of meat, cooked perfect, seasoned just right, that filthy spatula that I offered it to you with, it corrupted it, and I'm not going to eat that. Ain't that the truth? So you think now, even the very best works that I can offer to God... With this wicked and filthy and corrupted flesh, even though it may be the most beautiful and glorious work that could be offered, when it comes to God through this filthy thing, the work is corrupted by that. He gives us another picture in Ecclesiastes. He says flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to stink. So what he's talking about is medicine that's got dead flies in it, penicillin with dead flies in it, and I've got strep throat, and it's about to kill me. It's near to spreading into my bloodstream, and here's the medicine that in it has got power to cure me. But it's full of dead flies, and I don't want to take it. I tell you, that's what this wicked and rotten flesh is. It is unable to please God because it is so corrupted by sin. Well, then how do we please God then? Well, it's not in the flesh. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So here is the working of God in salvation. Well, you know, that Spirit of God, that's for some. Well, no, he says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So those that are born again, they're not in the flesh, but they're in the Spirit. Do you agree with that? Those that are in the flesh, they can't please God. But those that are in the Spirit, those that have had their sins washed in Jesus Christ... And they've been made clean. They've been adopted into the family. The Holy Ghost is dwelling in their lives. They are completely different than those that are in the flesh. Not just in some out of this world unseen way. But I'll tell you, that it comes from that unseen world, from that spiritual world, and it affects my behavior in this world as well. When God does that work inwardly, my behavior, I I heard it said this this way about the book of Romans, that the first 11 chapters of Romans was God working in the heavenly place and the last chapters of Romans was the gospel walking in shoe leather. That's where the gospel gets. God does a work inwardly that changes a man. And that change and that work of God walks in shoe leather. Changes his behavior and his nature and his desires in this world. And so Jesus says, if you can't do this, then you cannot. It is not possible for you to be my disciple. And I say this, without God working in the heart, it's not possible for you to do this. So he gives us the two parables. The man building a tower. The word means a castle. He's not just going out to build a shed for the lawnmower. He's looking to build an extravagant dwelling. And if you're looking to build something that great, you know what there is? There's planning, And there's sitting down counting the cost. It, It means the counting of pebbles. Taking rocks and counting them. And what you're doing is you're you're computing what this is going to cost you. Do I have the money to buy what I'm looking to build? Can I pay for this? And you know, anybody that's got any decent sense that's going to build something or that's going to write a check for something, we'd better check and see if we've got the money that it takes to buy this lest we write a check that's going to bounce. Or, in this picture, (coughs) we lay the foundation and we can't build anymore. So, what's the message of that? We got the king as well. The king's going forth to battle. And the wording here, what king going to make war? He's going to attack. He's going to go and attack a neighboring city or a neighboring king. But you know what he's going to he goes and makes war, he's going to make sure that he's got enough to win. Because if he's just got 10,000 men and he's going out to meet 20, would you agree that probably wouldn't be a very smart attack to make? So what's he doing? Well, he's taking counsel. He's going to get all of his generals. You know, we've got that here in the United States. We've got the Joint Chiefs of Staff where there's two, three, four-star generals and they come together and they say, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. They're consulting and giving advice. Strategizing. Because we don't want to go into battle and be defeated. We don't want to start a house and not be able to finish it. So what's the 33rd verse? So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So you know what I ought to do here, just as these did. Now I intend on being a disciple. I I believe we would all say that in, in one form or fashion. I'd like to be the Lord's disciple. I believe I am. The Lord's disciple. Well, you know, just like this fellow that's building a house, he's going to sit down and compute the cost of it. And the man going to war, he's going to sit down and take counsel whether he can win this battle. You know what we ought to do? Take the Word of God and sit down and look at what we've got versus what the Word of God says. we could take these verses right here. That you got to forsake father and mother, sister, brother... And, and your own self also. He says in another place, houses and lands, all of these things are going to have to come secondary to the service of God. <coughs> Could we not take that now and in honesty, sit down beside what we've got in our life and see whether we've got what it takes to truly be a disciple of God? Could we take that Scripture in Romans that those that are not in the flesh, they're after the Spirit, those that the Spirit of God dwells in, could we not lay our lives down beside that and figure it up? Have I really got what the Bible says it takes to get to heaven? Why, preacher, I ain't ain't worried about that. I'm going to build the foundation and I've got what it takes to finish. I tell you, I'd say that any man that's not willing to count the cost and see whether he's got what it takes to finish it, they've never finished a house before. Wouldn't you say that'd be true? If they're not willing to see what it costs and whether they've got enough, then I guarantee you they're going to run out before they get to the end. And all are going to mock. Boy, there's There is an enemy. There is an enemy. And he's going to mock. And he does. These professors, these that say they've got it, and he mocks at us because we don't have what it takes to finish what we started. The Lord says we ought to sit down today because you know what's happening? This king, he's he's getting closer to war. And if he realizes that he's that bad outnumbered, then he had better send. And try to work out some condition of peace. Because to go on means I'm going to get destroyed. My army's going to get killed. My nation's going to be crippled. I'd better do something about that. Well, wouldn't you say that'd be the wise thing today? As we count the cost and we look and we say, you know, I, I really don't have what the Bible says I ought to have. Boy, wouldn't it be wise to say, Lord, help me. Reveal to me. Draw me. But ain't it it amazing now you can look at Scripture like this over and over and over again and man does not see. You know why that is? It's impossible with man to see it. So we've got the counting of the calls. He says in 2 Corinthians, I, I believe right along this same line, 2 Corinthians chapter number 13. I guess this is pretty familiar scripture as well. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So here the Word of God, He's calling us to an examination. You know that... That's more than just a glancing at, wouldn't you say? I mean, if, if we just look over, scan over something versus an examination, we're, a, a doctor's exam, they're going to take a look. They're going to look closely. They're going to try to figure out what exactly is going on here. Well, the Word of God says examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Well, I've got all of these good works and good deeds, and all of this religion, to my credit, that must mean that I'm in the faith. Well, he says, that's not what he says here. He says, know you not how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. What should I be looking for in this examination? Well, if I'm looking to see whether I'm in the faith whether I'm born again, whether I belong to God or not, what I need to be examining for is whether the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, is dwelling in me or not. Because if He's not there, we do not belong to God. If we've not been regenerated from the inside out, if God has not, by the operation of His hand, made a new creature out of us that are affections would be to Him before everything else. then we're, we're not His disciple. That's, that's what the Lord said Himself. So He says again in Luke, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? So salt, salt's a, a powerful ingredient. I mean, you can take You can take green beans. And what difference just a little sprinkle of salt makes to the taste of that. But you know, you you can take meat as well that's raw. And you can preserve and draw out impurities. There's all manner of good that salt can do. Salt is very useful. And it was much more useful then, before they had freezers and refrigeration, than it is to us now. So they had to make do with that. Salt is good, but if it's lost its savor, if there's no more power in it, if there's no ability to preserve, there's no ability to keep, there's no power to change the taste, then what good is it? It's just gritty gravel. So what what happens to that? Well, it's not fit for the land. It's of no value to the crops that's growing in the field, nor for the dung hill. It's of no benefit even to the dung hill. You know dung. Why, what useful. Good that there is in that. Even to the, the fertilizing of the crops into the fields. Salt can't even help the dung hill. But men cast it out. He says in Matthew and it's trodden underfoot. You know what it's for? You can throw it out in the road and walk on it. That's the only benefit that there is. So, what then? If Christians are the salt of the earth, he says that in the Sermon on the Mount. If we're the salt of the world, then what about those that have started to build and were not able to finish? Those that made professions of faith. Those that started out on the journey, but they were never regenerated by the Spirit of God. You know what they are? They're they're just like salt without any savor. They've got a form of godliness. It looks like there's power there to bring about change. It looks like that God's done a work. But when you put it down and you taste it, it just doesn't taste right. I, that's the way, that is exactly how that false professors are. They've got a testimony, they've got a church membership, they've got good works, but when they begin to speak and when you examine the lives, it just does not taste right. You know what's wrong? The power is gone. There's no power there. So the Lord says that we ought to count the cost. That we ought to look ourselves over, that we ought to set down before we get there. Lord, we ought, we ought to count today. And know this whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord says it's a requirement that I lay everything to the side and that He come absolutely in first place. How's He going to get there? By the working of the grace of God in our lives.